Welcome to another beautiful business live session. Maybe I just yelled into this microphone, blew everybody's eardrums out. It's Tuesday again. I'm so excited about this topic. I'm excited enough about this topic that I, as those of you who listen to the podcast know, I have my own coaching session right before this. I just took my whole coaching session to talk my coach through what I want to share on this podcast today, which made her and me laugh a lot because this is just how we do things, but it was fun. And um, yeah, I just want to dive right into it. But before I dive right into it, what is there to say? Um, if you're loving the podcast, please share it. It is growing very steadily in terms of download numbers. So that tells me it's getting shared. Very grateful for that. Uh, what else can I tell you? I mean, coaching, I am available for coaching. I would love to coach you one-on-one. -on -one. The other day, somebody emailed me and said, I'd love to coach with you, but I'm terrified of what your price might be. And I thought that's funny. Uh, my price, I'm not going to say it here because this recording will live forever and who knows what my price does. My price is lower than you probably think. We'll talk today about why that is. This is so good. Uh, but I actually, Emily, I actually am getting low on inventory. We'll talk about, talk about that today too. So if you're curious to coach with me, send me an email, mark at markbutler.com. Very likely, I would love to coach you. Let's talk about pricing. There's three different angles or three different perspectives I want to bring to the pricing conversation. And I'm excited to flesh this out in the discussion portion of the call. The first, first sort of paradigm, the first angle on this is pricing as validation. Now, in the business world, pricing as validation is... is totally useful concept. It's a totally useful thing to do to say the amount that a market will pay uh, is, is a strong signal. And of course, I totally agree with that. And a market's willingness to pay or an individual within that market, they're willing to pay a certain price for a certain thing, either validates, uh, validates the offer or doesn't. Validates what the business is trying to do or is it doesn't, or it doesn't. I've got some big concerns in the coaching world with the pricing as validation perspective. Because number one, I often hear people who are talking about coaching say, the amount you charge for coaching is evidence of, or, or is indicative of how your client will perform in the relationship. What it sounds like is, well, if you don't charge more, they're not going to coaches, man. If there's one phrase coaches cannot get enough of, it's the word, it's the phrase show up. I personally, I can't say it anymore. <laughs> I, I can't, but coaches love to say show up. If you don't charge them more, they're not going to show up for your coaching. And I keep, I've heard this so many times over the last decade. And so I was thinking, is it true? Is it true that a person cannot engage with a coaching interaction unless they've paid for it and unless they've paid an uncomfortable amount for it? Did they have to get themselves over a big mental and emotional hurdle in the form of a high price in order for them to then value the coaching interaction? My answer is no. And I have two, in my opinion, two big, strong evidences for this. Number one, I can give you off the top of my head, at least five examples where over the years I've sat with a person, you know what, I'm going to give a very specific example. Five-ish years ago, uh, a person who has become a very good friend of mine, an amazing friend of mine, he and I, we go to the same church and we actually had similar assignments in our church at the same time, similar volunteer assignments. We would have this weekly meeting started to get to know each other in this weekly meeting. He heard a little bit about what I did as we chatted. And then he went and dug me up. Like, I don't know how he found my website, read about me. And at the end of one of these meetings, he came up to me and he said, I think I need to hire you. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think you do. <laughs> Cause I know what I do and I know a business he's in. And it's not a person I probably would serve in a coaching relationship at the time. Now I would, but at the time I was like, no, I got nothing for you, man. He's like, no, I really think I probably need to hire you. And I said, great, let's go sit down in the, in the little lobby here of the church. We went and sat down in the lobby, we pulled some nice soft chairs together. 
and we chatted for an hour and a half. We just had a free ranging conversation. It was a coaching conversation. I asked questions. I listened intently to his answers. I followed up. I held space. I did what coaches do. At the end of that conversation, he said, this has been really helpful. Thanks. And I'm like, yeah, happy to do it. This is what I do. It's fun. I love it. He's like, okay, appreciate it. We stay, we continue to be friends. Our friendship grows weeks and months go by. And then he starts to make changes in his, in his business and his business transforms. His business is phenomenal. By the way, he gets the credit for that. But he came back to me later and said, I cannot put a price tag on that conversation. If you had come to me before that conversation and said, pay me $500 and I'll talk to you for the next 90 minutes, there's no way I would have paid it. But if you now ask me to quantify the value of that conversation, I don't even know how to price it. And I'm just like, that's amazing, man. Like, thank you for saying that. Feels amazing to hear it. That will never get old. I don't frankly remember much of what we talked about, but that's what coaching is. Coaching in my in our model, the model we're talking about on the beautiful business, coaching is me being a sounding board, holding space, asking follow-up questions. I don't remember a lot of that conversation, but he says it changed everything for him. Well, if we're thinking of pricing as validation, that breaks it because he didn't pay anything for that conversation. Not only that, he's never paid me for any sort of coaching. And at this point, I wouldn't, we're like very close friends and that wouldn't work. Although I'm now working on five years of free breakfasts and lunches because he refuses to ever let me pay for a meal. So I've got sort of like lifetime breakfasts lined up from that one coaching interaction. That feels pretty good because I love breakfast. But that breaks this pricing is validation thing. My client in this case got enormous value long-term value from a free coaching interaction. So I guess it's not true that a person has to pay an uncomfortable amount of money in order to benefit from my coaching. So that one goes out the window for me right away. The other one that I think is actually worse, and I got to be careful about sort of overstating this or making it, I mean, sometimes I can get a little bit, as you all know, a little bit drunk on my own Kool-Aid. But there's this idea that the amount you charge for your coaching is proof of how you feel about yourself. And it sounds like, you know, a coach says, I'm charging X for coaching. And the person that is talking to them says, well, don't you believe in yourself? Don't you value yourself? If you don't value yourself, how can you expect other people to value you? Well, now we've done a weird thing. Now we've done a weird thing where we've taken the price of a service and we've attached it to a person's self-worth. Not sure I think that's ever a good idea. It's especially to me, it gets funky. And by funky, I mean potentially dangerous and maybe even toxic. If the person who is saying, don't you value yourself is engaged in sort of a sneaky anchoring exercise where I can say, well, people who really value themselves charge a lot for their coaching and pay a lot for their coaching. And oh, by the way, wouldn't you like to pay me a lot for my coaching? Now the water's muddy. And now maybe I, if I'm the coach offering, making the offer in that scenario, maybe I've accidentally become manipulative in a way that I never would have intended to be but oops, I kind of am because now I've attached the person I'm talking to. I've made their self-worth sub subject to the amount of money exchanged for a conversation. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I reject it. So is there some truth to pricing as validation? If I'm, if I'm talking to a coach, can I glean some information? from the amount that they're charging for their coaching? Yes, I can, absolutely. And it may relate in part to their confidence and that's worth talking about. But if I overinvest in that, if I make that link between 
price and self-confidence, price and self-worth, if I make that link too strong, and if I act like it's actually the only piece of information, I've wandered into uh, what I think is not great territory. Have I done this? I think I have. Take this as a public apology. I'm not aware of having engaged with it in this way, but it's hard to believe I haven't ever engaged with it in this way. And even in just preparing for this call, I thought, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to raise my own awareness that a person's willingness to pay me for conversations and for the transformations that can come from those conversations, the price itself means nothing about them and nothing about me. They are a perfectly worthwhile human being, independent of price of coaching. I am a perfectly worthwhile human being and a fantastic coach, independent of the price in this exchange, full stop. So I'm trying to push aside or minimize the pricing as validation model. I don't think it's the healthiest thing that we as coaches can be doing with our clients or ourselves. I want us to be moving in the direction, and I want to be moving in the direction of pricing as strategy. Pricing as strategy. Okay, now this is where... This is where, as I was explaining this to my own coach, she started to get a little bit of a confused look on her face and that's on me, not her. She's a brilliant person. So I want to do a good job with this next bit. And I want you all to raise your hands and be like, Mark, you're not making sense unless I am making sense. In any exchange, in any financial exchange where one person has an experience to offer, that's us as coaches, we're offering an experience and the other person has money to offer the money will move away from the person who values the thing more, the experience, and it will move toward the person who values the money more, right? So if I, as a coach, am offering the coaching experience, I value the money they're paying me more than the coaching experience. So I'm giving up the coaching experience in the form of an hour of my time, and they're giving up the money. And that's how we all think this whole equation should work. They give me money, I give them coaching, great trade. Here's the thing especially in the early days of a coaching business, that model is actually reversed. I, as the coach, value the coaching interaction more than the client. Why? I want to practice. I've got all this enthusiasm. I'm trying to build relationships. I'm trying to, I'm trying to build some momentum in my business. And in the earliest days of my coaching business, and even sort of in the whatever teenage adolescent days of my, of my coaching business, I care so much about being in the work of coaching. And in those days, I do, hopefully, I value the, the coaching interaction more than I value the money. Well, I don't have a necessarily an established name yet. I don't have I don't have sort of relationship equity built in an in an in a in an area in a niche in an audience in a social group. So the individuals that I'm interacting with, they don't yet value the interaction with me more than they value the money in their checking account. So they're holding the money in their checking account. I think this makes a very strong case for pricing uh, a coach's prices being low for a while because what they're saying is I'm willing to forego the money you'd have paid me for the opportunity to engage in the work of coaching. And the client that they're talking to is saying, well, you seem like a nice enough person. We, I mean, if you're having this conversation at all, they're probably some sort of pre-existing relationship. So they'll say, yeah, I'll exchange an hour of my time for some potential positive outcome from talking to you. And, you know, part of that is also that I like you and I want to help you out. So I'll pay you an hour of my time and no money, and you'll pay me a coaching engagement and maybe something comes of that. If we think about the actual value exchange early and even in the adolescence of a coaching business, that's on point. 
something that it's a little bit hard to say, but I actually believe it. And I think it's actually very helpful is, you know, many, many of us, especially in the early days in the adolescence of our coaching businesses, we have imposter syndrome. On some level, we don't believe that our coaching is yet extremely valuable to the people we're offering it to. And you know what? We're right. And that's okay. If we've disconnected ourselves from pricing as validation, and by extension, if we've accepted ourselves as perfectly worthwhile human beings who want to do good in the world, and we've moved on from that paradigm, now we can have an honest conversation with ourselves about experience and skill. And the simple fact is, in the earliest days of a coaching business, when I've had maybe, I don't know, five, 10 coaching interactions, my coaching isn't yet what it will be after a hundred coaching interactions. It just isn't. Now, are my tools still valuable? Yes, they are. Is listening to another human being powerful? Almost always. Yes, it is. So I do have some value to give, but the value, the insight I have to offer, the quality of experience I have to offer in the earliest days of the coaching business, it's not what it will be later. And my goal as that newer coach has to be to love and accept myself and acknowledge that my skills are not yet what they will be. And the way to get them there is to practice. And one lever that I can pull in the pursuit of more practice is price. And I can keep price low or I can keep it zero. Now, at some point, I, I'm going to make the switch, right? I'm going to say, okay, this has been amazing. I've been doing it in a ton of skill building, ton of relationship building. It's time for the equation to switch. It's time for me to start trading my coaching interactions for dollars. But that's still not a scenario where you have to go deep into your coaching toolkit to persuade yourself to do it. Now, if you have, if you have deep-seated sort of self-worth issues, I have compassion and love for you. I don't think you're weird. I don't think you're broken. Work on that with your coach. Like, yeah, I just struggle to ask people for money. And I think it boils down to the fact that I don't think I'm worth it. Yeah, let's work on that. No problem. But you don't, you shouldn't have to dig very deep into that toolkit because there will be success signs pointing to a price increase. And those success, success signs look like busyness busyness in the, in the work of a coaching business, not paper shuffling, not making your 1100th Instagram post about self-care. I used that joke before. I'm just going to stick with it. It's not that it's, oh man, it's Monday and I got a full day tomorrow. I, I last night looked at my calendar and said, I have calls from nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the evening, no breaks, no lunch, no breaks. That's a signal that it might be time to start considering a price change. I don't have to go deep. I don't have to be like, oh, what is the true nature of my being? I have to be like, no, all my sessions are, are, are taken. Economics says, when a line forms, like when all the inventory has been consumed, it's time to raise price. Okay, maybe it's time to raise price. So by, by working with price strategically and saying, I am, I am in the phase where I'm charging less for the interaction because I value the interaction more than the client does. And staying there confidently with a ton of self acceptance and self-love strategically, I think that's the better play. Here's how much I believe in this idea, or, or maybe here's a, here's a way to illustrate this concept in the extreme. The other day I did a call for a client of mine and I said, I was talking to her, her community. And I said, look, if you're not busy, if you're not having 
a steady trickle or a steady stream of coaching interactions and you want them. It may be even that a zero price is still too high. You might have to have the price go negative. What does that mean? Well, in their case, I said, look, the next time you have the itch to join a multi-thousand dollar mastermind, $10,000 mastermind, instead, I would ask you to consider buying a hundred $100 gift cards or $250 gift cards. Going into your world and interacting with people and saying, hey, look, I'm doing this life coaching thing. Have I told you that yet? And they're like, I saw something on Facebook. You're like, cool. Or I saw something on Instagram. You're like, okay, great. Do you know what life coaching is? They're like, you know, I've kind of heard of it. I don't like, what is it? And then you say, yeah, totally. Most people haven't even engaged with this in any way. What I do is I have conversations with people where we explore the relationship between their, their persistent thoughts and their behaviors and the results those behaviors are producing in their lives. It's just sort of this open conversation where people are able to see that they have a certain set of beliefs or thoughts that are having a direct relationship to how they feel, what they do, and then what results they're getting. And it's my job to sort of guide people through that process. And they're like, oh, cool. I mean, that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, it's totally interesting, you say. And then you tell them, here's the thing. I'm so new at this that I'm actually trying to have as many of these coaching interactions as I can. So what I'm wondering is, could I give you this $50 gift card and have you spend an hour with me where we do this little exploration together? And then their answer is going to be one of two things, maybe one of three. One could be, you know what? It's probably not for me. I think I'm good. No problem. The second one would be, sure, I'm happy to do that. Thanks for the gift card. And the third one, which I think will be more common than you even expect, will be like, no, nah, no worries. Just keep the gift card. I'll just, yeah, like, let's just chat. That's not a problem. And then you coach with them. It's my firm belief that if you were to do that a hundred times, authentically, you're not being graspy, by the way, you're not begging. You're not like, Hey, could you just hook me up? Like, no, you, you have something to offer. It's real. It's valuable. They just don't know that yet. And you're trying to get better at it. So you're holding your head high, your shoulders are back and you're saying, I've got this thing I would love to do with you, but you don't yet know how to value it. So I'm going to give you a Starbucks gift card or an Amazon gift card to remove all the risk from the equation for you, for you. You're not saying these words, but I hope this is what's in your head. I'm going to remove all the risk from the equation from you. And then I get to have a coaching interaction. I get to plant a seed like we talked about back in episode two of this podcast. It is my firm belief that if you were to do that a hundred times, you would end up with two, three, five paying clients because some percentage of those people are going to get to the end of that call and say, I never thought of this before. This is powerful. How did you learn this? But they'll say something like, this is really pretty amazing. And then you get to say, I'm so glad. By the way, would you like to do this again? Would you like to have more conversations like this one? Some percentage of them will say, that would really be helpful. How does that work? And then you tell them, here's how it works. And then you go into a paid coaching relationship. Many, many of them will say, you know what? This has been great. I think I'm good. Thanks. Thanks again. By the way, some percentage of those will come back here later and say, the pain in my life has surged. Can we do another one of those conversation things like we did a year ago? But even in the short term, two, three, five, six, I don't know what percentage will go from, Hey, let me pay you this gift card to, Hey, yes, I would love to, I would love to work with you on an ongoing basis. So the value exchange will now have flipped. And then after, you know, those first two, three, five, eight, ten clients over the course of six, eight, 12 months, because we're patient, becomes a, 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 a busy practice built on self-acceptance and strategic pricing not pricing as I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. I'm a good coach or I'm a bad coach. Strategic pricing where we're saying, oh, 
I'm trying to move along the continuum from where I'm valuing the coaching interaction more to where my prospective client is valuing the coaching interaction more. And by the way, that never ends. It never ends. So let's talk about the price inventory relationship. Two, two stories about, well, maybe just one story about pricing. About four years ago, many of you know that I was the CFO for some of these coaches whose names you know. And I was charging a certain amount for that service. One day I was at lunch with all these coaches. They happened to all be sort of masterminding together. I happened to be in town. I sat in, then we all went to lunch together. At the beginning of that uh, lunch, my price was X. At the end of that lunch, my price was 5X. I did not go into that lunch saying, and today I'm gonna raise my price 5X. One of my clients said, generously, by the way, like I don't misunderstand. I, this, I was, I, I've been the beneficiary of those relationships so much, so often. It just happened that one of my clients said, I want to pay him more, but he won't let me. And then another one of my clients said, um, I'll pay him that. And then another one of my clients said, I want to see how he shows up if we all pay him that. Now, by the way, what did they do there? They switched to pricing as validation. I want to see how he shows up if I start paying him X. It's the same game. So anyway, by the end of that lunch, my price had increased 5X. Three weeks later, I had lost 80% of my clients. Wasn't a bad thing, by the way. I had lost 80% in the short term. It wasn't a bad thing. I had lost 80% of my clients. The only clients I had left were the clients who were sitting at that table that day. What was the net result? Uh, I became functionally retired. I was making an outrageous hourly rate. I didn't have to work very much. And for a short while, I thought, this is the money. Like, this is it. I win. But what happened? What really happened in the long run was That price, there wasn't a lot of demand for me at that price, as evidenced by the fact that once this change happened, 80% of my business went away. And what I didn't know at the time was when the 80% of when that 80% of my business went away, so went the referral stream that came with that 80% of my business. So now I had these last few clients who were all each other's friends and didn't do a lot of networking outside that, that circle. So if you look at that group of people as a market, I now had basically 100% market adoption for that service at that price. Did I get some clients at that price over the next couple of years? Yes, very few. And none of them lasted very long. I was at the time in a monthly retainer pricing model, by the way, that's probably a useful reference point. So what I did is I now had hundred percent adoption within this very specific market. And I had now no, basically no referrals. So if any of those clients ever fired me, I was going to have to like scramble, like, wait, now I have to go find a new market in which to get people to pay me that price. Yes, I could do that. But in my old model, I didn't have to do that. My price was at such a level, it, I was priced in such a way that there were happy clients, a happy service provider, me, and there was a steady stream of referrals. In the new pricing, there were still happy clients. For a while, there was a happy service provider and there were no referrals. Well, what am I describing? I'm describing a day job. I'm describing a job where I have six bosses mostly great bosses, mostly great bosses. And if any of those bosses fire me, it's not necessarily easy for me to go out and find that level of business owner, have them become converted to my value in the same way, and then sustain that. And in fact, what I discovered was outside of that little mini market of those six coaches, other people in the broader marketplace had more expectations of a service provider at that price point in my field. So when they looked at me and said, wait, that price for that service? No, I need features A, B, C, but also X, Y, and Z. Will you do X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. 
They're like, okay, cool. We're going to go with this other firm. They were right to do that. They were right to do that. So I had not acknowledged that at that price point, the market, I basically shrunk my market almost to nothing. And then when those clients did start to actually outgrow my service, because they wanted the A, B, and C that I'd always provided, but then they also justifiably wanted X, Y, and Z. Well, I was no longer the person. So I either had to become a different provider and grow in a direction that I wasn't excited to grow, or it was game over. And in fact, it was game over. Here's how we translate that into our one-on-one coaching model. I think we as coaches are wise to set an inventory. Like I did, I had that as in that same business. I was sort of like, well, I'm willing to have up to this many clients. But I think as we as coaches should be, we should set our inventory. And in setting our inventory, then we look at our price and we say, I want to set my price at a level where this inventory is consistently sold out. And I hope it's not too weird or abstract to say, we're looking to set our price where demand is always a little bit higher than supply. In practical terms, that looks like a wait list in a coaching business. As of this moment in time on, you know, the day that I'm recording this, I emailed a prospective coaching client today who's followed up with me a couple of times like, hey, I'd love to talk to you about coaching. I'm thrilled, by the way, honored. It, it never gets old to have someone reach out to you and say, I would love to have you coach me. I, I hope I, the day that I'm not thrilled, honored, flattered by that is, is a sad day. So she emails me and says, I'd, I'd like to consider coaching with you. And I replied and said, here's the deal. As of this moment in time, if you want to coach with me, not only is the price X, because let's just be upfront about the price, but also my only calendar availability is this day and this day at this time, this time, or this time. So if none of those three times work for, for you right now, then we're going to have to just reconnect when I have some spots open. This is now we're bumping up against the point where at my current price, there's a little bit more demand than supply. And guess where it's easiest to maintain a high degree of confidence and enthusiasm? It's where there's a little bit more demand than supply. Because the, alter the alternative where there's a little bit more supply than demand looks like a coach telling me, I didn't have any coaching calls last week. Um, and I say, well, how many, how many like spots do you have available? And they don't have an answer because the answer is, as many as I could sell, they haven't yet even committed to the idea that they can set an inventory and then go sell that inventory. And then I say, what's your price? And then they spin up all this uh, mental noise about price as validation. Because that's what coaches do. Well, I'm charging this, but I'm doing this many in the package. And oh, but I'm thinking about maybe a price increase because my friend or my coach told me that if I really value myself, I should charge more or that I'll get better clients if I charge more. And, and then we're in this mental merry-go-round of price as validation. I want a business where there's always a little more demand than supply. And the levers I can pull are inventory and price. So if I currently have basically no coaching clients, then I would set my inventory at one. And when people say, oh, you have a coaching business, that's amazing. Like, how's it going? And you'd say, it's going great. The answer, by the way, is always, yes, yeah, going great. Why is it always going great? Because you love being a coach and you don't need external validation, least of all in the form of money to determine whether or not you tell people it's going great. You're also allowed, by the way, to say, how's it going? Well, I'm a little bored or I'm a little tired or whatever. Okay. But none of it has anything to do with the amount of money you're making. I'll let you know over and over again. So you set your inventory at one and you say, Thursday mornings at 10 AM is my inventory. I am now going to go engage with people. Maybe I'm going to do Mark's dumb idea about gift cards and have conversations with people until one person says, 
yeah, I could be there Thursday at 10 o'clock and do 12 sessions with you or 24 sessions with you or six sessions with you because it doesn't matter. Don't get hung up on that. Pick a number, six, 12, 20. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Sell the inventory. And when the inventory is sold, you continue to engage with people. You continue to do the dumb gift card thing, maybe. You continue to have conversations. And then someone else says, yeah, I would love to do that with you. And then you say, okay, I guess I've got to open up a little more inventory. That's going to be Thursdays at 11 o'clock. Now 10 o'clock is sold and 11 o'clock is sold. And all of a sudden you've reframed the whole business from the thing where on Sunday nights, you're like, oh, good. Here's my calendar as evidence that I'm a loser again this week, which is never true, but I'm afraid many of you are saying it. And instead you say, okay, my, my Thursday 10 a.m. inventory is sold. My Thursday 11 a.m. inventory is sold. I think I will open Thursday uh, 9 a.m. And I've got these free conversations this week or these um, gift card conversations this week. And maybe you batch those. You do all those on Wednesdays. I don't know. And now you're engaging in success instead of engaging in failure. And price becomes one of the levers you pull as you try to switch from viewing the whole thing as a failure exercise to viewing the whole thing as a steady uh, progression of success. I don't care how committed you are to the idea that your thoughts create your feelings. You will find it easier to think happy, successful thoughts when you look at your calendar and see success signals on it. That is a circumstance, life coaches, in which you will find it easier to think, this is kind of working. This is kind of growing. That's interesting. And at, eventually, as you continue to engage in all of this work and you add a little bit of inventory and then you sell that inventory, and then suddenly adding more inventory would compete with your definition of a great life. And then you will say, I'm actually functionally sold out. Adding the next hour of inventory would encroach on other priorities. And in case anybody thinks that this isn't like a real world, world practical thing, there's 168 hours in the week. You've let the world tell you that the reasonable number of the reasonable amount of inventory in a, in those 168 hours is 40. So it's already less than 168. All I'm saying is it might further serve you to take that, that, inventory down to one and to build it from there until you're like, oh, 12. I think it's 12. Oh, it's 15. Oh, maybe it's 18. I'm now bumping up against this where I'm saying, oh, interesting. I coach on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the first, second, and third weeks of the month. I don't coach the fourth week of the month. And if there's a fifth week of the month, I don't coach in the fifth week. That leaves six, six days per month available for coaching. I've got, as of this moment in time, limited inventory left. And I will tell you that I am at this point having conversations with my own coach about the stress of that little amount of success where I'm feeling some pressure to open up new inventory, but it's competing with how much I love my Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And now there's tension there and the tension is fine. We can work with the tension. I may decide that, yeah, I want to open up more inventory, or I may decide, yeah, I want to increase price, or I may decide, why do I have to mess with anything? Maybe I just practice allowing this all to be good for a period of time. And I don't get in my head about maximizing income. And I don't get in my head about how more money would mean more self-worth Maybe I just let it all be. And when I'm ready to pull the price lever or the inventory lever again, it'll come from what feels good. Like, I think the word intuition is relevant here. Uh, my coach said today, because she and I can, we talk on this level. She said, well, yeah, because also if people are totally obsessed with price, 
then, then they're not open to what God wants them to do in their business. Now, if you, if you are engaged with a higher power in any way, if you believe that information comes to you through that relationship, then it can also come to you through that relationship about price and about inventory. And, and if you, if you trust that relationship with higher, with a higher power, wouldn't you want it to be part of this decision and let that be a big factor in price and inventory more than using price and inventory as the determinants of my self-worth? I know which one I prefer. I, I, I think that's a softball. I think that's an easy, I, I hope that's an easy question to answer. Set your price in your inventory at a level at levels where you in the in a relatively short period of time, like within a matter of weeks or a couple of months, you're noticing that at that level of inventory and at that price, there's a little more demand than supply. And then follow that virtuous cycle to wherever it takes you. Let's chat for a few minutes before we before we call it a day. Who, who would like to chat with me? I never shared my slides today, did I? <laughs> Forgot to share screen. It's okay. This is a podcast. Who can I chat with? Hey, Mark, I'll chat. Hi, Kathy. Hey, in my mind, I keep hearing you say, your price should be whatever number you can say with a straight face. Oh yeah, that's true. I do say that. So is this contradictory to what you're saying? You know, I think it is, isn't it? I think I might have to, I might have to back off that. Because I could say, even for my coaching, Oh man, I'm really glad you brought that up because I don't think I want to stick with that anymore. Even when I, in my own coaching, like setting aside the CFO service that I was talking about earlier, I could say a price that was much higher than the price I'm currently using with my current inventory. And I could say it with a straight face and I made sales, but I was having three and four month gaps between signups at that price that I could say with a straight face. So on the one hand, it was a nice indicator of my own confidence. Like, yeah, I can say this and I can believe in it. I, I think I can deliver value at this price. But what I had to admit to myself was at that price, I wasn't selling the inventory that I wanted to sell. So thanks for bringing that up. I don't think I'm going to say that anymore. Well, it's just interesting because I had raised my prices and I felt really confident stating that price. And I did sell, I have two clients on that price, but I don't know if I really like it. Yeah. Pardon? I mean, so anyway, just wanted to bring that up. Thank you so much, man. It's so that's good for so many reasons. One of the reasons it's great is that, um, we get to change over time. Don't we, we get to have new realizations and be like, oh yeah, that doesn't really it's an incomplete idea. In fact, this thing of, of saying you should charge uh, whatever you can say with a straight face, I think it might be too closely related to this idea of pricing as validation. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a strong reaction to that over the last few days. Yeah. Okay. Can I bring up one more thing? There's no other people. Um, I think that this feels a little challenging to me because the things the packages or the experiences that I want to engage in are such a high price. Mm -hmm. And I'm used to having things that have several zeros at the end. And I think, okay, if I, I must be, I must have to charge enough if I can afford to pay for oh, that's so good. Yes. The that I want, which I am resisting that. And I'm, but anyway, that's what was kind of blaring in my face while you were talking. Well, there's a practical, there's a practical, practical aspect to that. And it's funny, I've had this very thought and I haven't, I haven't ever vocalized it until now. And it is this, there are many amazing programs 
that I will not be signing up for for the, for the foreseeable future. And the reason is now, well, I'm going to give you a bunch of thoughts and then tell them that they're my facts, but you're all, you can all, you know, cope with that. I am the sole earner in my household. So my profit and loss statement is my family's profit and loss statement. So I don't have, man, I hope this doesn't sound negative. I don't have a subsidy. I don't have a, I don't have a, a household member who um, can fund stuff that would absolutely benefit me. So, and I want to be clear that I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Yeah. Cause most of us fit in that category. Well, and I, I think would, it's I fit so in that awesome. I love sure. it. Yeah. Like, I love that that is, is what some the, the situation that so many people are in. So people in that situation can sort of look at their whole household as a, as an operation and they can look at the household PL and the business and their business PL, and then they can, they can make those kinds of decisions differently. For me, I'm like, yeah, that would be amazing. I probably want to do that at some point but I'm not going to make that fit in the, in the business or the household PL. So what I would encourage, I mean, what I would suggest is that no one should feel bad if their household can absolutely fund these amazing experiences when their business can't on its own. There's since we're not doing money as validation, right. There's nothing to be criticized there. Right. Thank you so much for bringing that up. You're welcome. Thanks for uh, chatting. Um, yeah, and and to put a fine point on what Kathy's saying, I don't have to charge what I'm willing to pay. There's no, there's like no incongruity there. There's no sort of inauthenticity or lack of integrity there. Like you're allowed to pay whatever you want to pay and you're allowed to charge whatever you want to charge. These things, since we're not doing prices validation, we don't have to consider that. Okay. Thanks. So. Thanks, Kathy. That makes this whole thing so much better to have those points included. Uh, Nicole, I think I see your hand next. Yeah, sorry, I'm in the car. Hey, um, since we're talking money, do you have a preference of per session or a package price? Do you have, what are your thoughts on charging that way and why you do one or the other? It's such a good, it's such a good question. Such a good point. I work with a therapist right now, along with my coaches. And my therapist is just one session at a time. So we talk and then she bills me. We talk and then she bills me. And my wife is working with a therapist. It's the same thing. She goes, she pays, she talks. I don't know if it's the industry standard in therapy. I guess it probably is. Now, in my therapist's case, that has worked out fine for her because the relationship has really endured and I believe will continue to. So her business risk has, has now gone close to zero as it relates to the relationship with me because I've, I don't know how many dozens of sessions we've done together. Mm -hmm. But sh there's nothing, there was nothing built in to prevent me from just talking two or three or four times and then being like, hey, thanks, this is great. I'm going to move on. So there's business risk for her if she gives me an hour, if she gives me inventory and if she doesn't have a wait list. Now in my therapist's case, she does have a wait list, but if she gives me inventory and then she doesn't have a wait list, she risks a little mini drought in that hour. If you're thinking about the inventory paradigm, you can say, okay, Wednesday's at 11, either I sell that hour or I don't. Now, by the way, a bunch of people are like, this is why I don't want to be a one-on-one -on -one coach in the first place. I want to trade time for money in this way. Okay, no problem. We can talk about that another day. But those of us who are engaging in one-on-one -on -one coaching, we are trading hours for dollars and embracing that model. So I sell packages so that to reduce that risk. I, I don't, I also think there's some amount of service to the client of not asking them to make the decision again, every time you meet, mm. I think yeah. there's comfort. There can be comfort for the client, especially if the relationship was started in sort of a beautiful business way, like we're gardening and, and the garden produced fruit and it was this relationship. And then they purchased a package. There's some amount of comfort for them in saying I paid for it. And I don't have to think about that for however long, you know, in my case, eight months at the moment, eight months. Um, I think there's some service there. So I do packages. 
but I want, uh, as we, I want demand to slightly exceed supply. So I'm doing packages, but I also want to have a wait list. I want both. And I've been doing eight weeks. And then after that, if you want to, if you want to keep meeting, let's do it one at a time. Okay. Now there's no wrong answers. So that's fantastic for me. It's, and I'm probably going to have this conversation today, or, you know, I have a couple of clients who are up for renewal clients. I love clients who've already renewed in the past. And the conversation is, Hey, by the way, it's our second to last meeting for this round. And then the client's like, Oh yeah, I didn't realize. Or they say, yeah, I know. And then I say, what do you think? Should we keep going? And not always. Sometimes they say, you know what? I think I'm good. I got it. Okay, cool. Or they say, yeah, what do we do? And I'm like, I'll just send you the payment link again. Okay, perfect. Hmm. Um, because I, my model is that I never want them to have to make a new decision every week or every other week or every month, depending on how my coaching is set up. I, they can just, in my case, they can make that decision every six to eight months or every year. I, um, it's not quite as clean as I'm pretending it here is here on this podcast, but the idea is I, I want to reduce the number of times, the frequency of decisions for my client. No, I really appreciate that. I think in other areas of my life, I've done that. And you just, it's like a gift you give to yourself. I'm going to commit to this thing for this amount of time. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Great question. Thanks. Linda. Hey, Mark. Um, so So I agree with everything you said, and I'm like, yeah, it's so easy, right? It feels so easy. But in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, so how can I apply this to corporate, right? Because the people that I'm trying to reach are corporate employees, many of them in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And they know how much coaching is out there at the executive level, the leadership level, right? much more than I would, than I actually put in my proposal, but it's, I feel it's validation for them in a case of corporate, you know what I'm saying? Then for me, it's kind of validation for them. Oh, this coach is $10,000 for three months. Yeah. And she's charging 300, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. There, there will be a period of time where, um, your price, there, there are situations where your price is so low mm -hmm. that it, that it causes the person to say you're not valuable. Mm -hmm. So you say, well, I want to charge them more so that they feel validated and so that they engage with me instead of saying no to me. And what I would say mm -hmm. is we're right back to the same issue. You can do that unless setting your price at that level makes it so you're not able to engage the, with the work you want to do steadily enough to feel like you have momentum. And I know momentum is a totally vague idea, totally subjective, but if you're only coaching, you know, one session per month, you're not skill building, you're not built building momentum and so you might have to allow that person to feel invalidated. You might have to take a different approach to it. You might have to be willing to talk to more than the person than you've just decided you want to talk to. Mm. As we've talked about in other sessions, I'm not convinced that niche is I that that having a niche is ideal for coaches. It, it doesn't. I, I'm not so sure. I I don't I don't have a ton of evidence that people who pick a niche are better off than people who don't. So maybe the way you could bridge those two is you could say, well, there's a certain type of client that's a corporate client and I do charge them mm -hmm. this higher thing. But then I have a lot of other conversations and I charge a different thing. You know, you can charge different prices to different clients. I do. And they know it. I have a client who currently pays triple what my other clients pay and she views it as a bargain. Mm. And the principle in this case is leverage. There is, she has a multi-million dollar business. So there's enormous leverage in our interactions for her. There's enormous financial leverage. When we have an epiphany together or when she gains clarity because of our conversations, 
clarity for her can be worth instantly, quote unquote, instantly millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that she would be paying her coach more than this other client who for uh, whose life or whose situation doesn't have that kind of financial leverage in it. So I think it makes sense to be willing to have a diversity of clients, and that may include a diversity of prices. Now, yeah, I'm introducing variables and that can be confusing, but don't indulge in it. Just acknowledge that as I'm engaging with this person, I'm factoring my desire for momentum, my current inventory and their self-image. I'm pulling it all in and I'm saying this price is this and that price is that. Eventually you may settle in. Eventually you may say, well, now I actually am busy enough with the corporate clients that it's just all those corporate clients. And I do have, my inventory is sold out and demand is slightly exceeding supply, et cetera. But until then, I think you got to engage in whatever way makes it easiest to keep your confidence high. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that question, Linda. And I want to make one other point. My coach was like, don't forget that point. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so I'm remembering it last. I kind of just said this to Linda, but now I want to make it. Um, I want to make my opinion clearer. Different markets pay different amounts for coaching where a client has financial leverage in the relationship, they will likely pay more for coaching. Where they're accustomed to paying more for everything in their life, they will probably pay more for coaching. One of the worst, and in my opinion, most toxic scenarios in the pricing as validation model is when a coach says, well, I'm coaching fill-in-the-blank client. I'm not even gonna give an example, but I'm coaching, coaching fill-in-the-blank client and honestly, I don't have a lot of evidence that she pays, you know, high rates for coaching. And then their coach says, well, don't you believe in yourself? Don't you believe in your coaching? She's going to show up very differently if you charge her X, Y, and Z. And again, do I think this can never be true? No, I think that there are times where I was talking to a client once who uh, in my bookkeeping monthly call with my bookkeeping clients, she said, well, I'm charging $5,000 for coaching to this specific market and they are paying it, but I'm still caught up in my head about the idea that they won't pay it. And in her case, I said, look, you get to decide and I trust you. It's possible that you will give them a strong signal by even giving them the opportunity to pay that price. I think that can be done lovingly and like with compassion and in not a toxic way. So I said to her, play with it. Maybe there's a positive signal for your client there, but you may decide that, you know, I actually do want to lower that price or raise that price or whatever. So it's not that that can't be true, but I don't like it when it's presented as, oh, you don't think your market will pay. You don't think your niche will pay. Well, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your belief? What's wrong with your coaching? Don't you value yourself? I hate it. I think it's so wrong. So yeah, different markets pay different amounts and we've got to be open to that reality. And let's be real. There's a reason most of you, okay, half joking now, half joke inbound. There's a reason most of you end up as business coach for co business coaches for coaches. Half joke, half. It's because there are markets where people are accustomed to paying a certain amount for certain things work with it. And again, if you think, if you think, if you operate with the belief in a higher power, consult that higher power about what is the, what is the function of this business in the world? And let that be a determining factor in price and inventory and what you offer and whether you're doing a training business or a coaching business, because neither one's wrong. They're both fantastic, but let's remove money as validation if we can. Thank you all for being here. I got to go to a coaching call. Have a great week. No live call next week. It's Thanksgiving break here in the US. Um, and I think I will do one the following week on the 29th. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for your amazing questions and your participation. Thank you for sharing the beautiful business podcast with your peers. It means the world. Talk to you next time.